Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 126. This episode is with youth football coach Grant McLeod. Grant came on to talk about his best ways of getting his ideas across. He spoke about effective communication and the importance of using common language and phrases. So Grant was um, he's got experience working in countries like Singapore and Thailand, um, obviously where there's the, the language barrier. So he came up with some really interesting ways of getting his point across to his players and other coaches as well. He spoke about some of the challenges he faced in, in those roles as well. And then we also spoke about developing female players too. So it was a really interesting chat with Grant. And I just want to say a big thank you to one of our community members, Marcus Ward, for recommending Grant to come on the podcast. And uh, it was a really interesting conversation. I think plenty of takeaways on this one. So please get in touch. Let us know what you took away from the episode. As always, please give it a share. Um, Give it a share on Twitter, Instagram. Please help us grow the audience and the reach we get on each of these shows. And I'll leave you to the episode with Grant McLeod. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 126. I am delighted today to be joined by youth football coach Grant McLeod. Grant, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. No worries. Cheers for having me, man. I've said a, a few times for listeners, if anyone does have any recommendations of guests, then please reach out and let me know. Um, and this grant comes off the back of a recommendation from Marcus Ward. So a big thank you to Marcus for reaching out and getting in touch. And after doing a bit of digging around and, and hearing what Grant's been up to, I know we've got some really interesting stories and experiences that, that you've been through. So it'd be great to dive into some of those. But do you want to start us off, mate? Do you want to give us a little bit of background on yourself? Sure. So um, when I was about 17, I first started coaching. Um, so basically, but I wasn't much of an athlete. I was okay, very bang average. But I started coaching quite early because it was um, basically the youth team in my local area were advertising for coaches. So I was like, may as well get involved and I can help out little things like that. Um, and that slowly gathered a bit of momentum. I got a job working for the SFA. Um, and then I was at the SFA for a while doing community stuff and then eventually led on some there was a performance athletes in school program where they coach kids before they go to school and strength and conditioning, different elements of um, how you want to learn to be an athlete in a full-time environment, but obviously within the, the local areas. Um, from that, I did my degree in sport and exercise science uh, with Napier University and then transitioned from coaching to working in strength and conditioning and trying to help athletes, like support athletes uh, after training, we could train wherever this is. Um, I spent was it four or five years working in Scottish football. So I was in the championship, League Two, League One, different clubs, sort of bouncing about. And then I got a job working for Stirling University as a strength and conditioning coach. And I spent a year there working across a number of sports. It was quite nice to get away from football for a while. Um, triathlon, swimming, tennis, um, a couple of others. But it was quite nice. There was a bit of variety and not just dealing with footballers all the time. <laughs> then I got a move to Singapore. So I moved from uh, here in Edinburgh out to Asia 
And I spent two years, again, working in multiple sports. So I had Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, MMA, rugby, squash. And then I had, it was kind of a split role between personal training and strength and conditioning. So I had some general population stuff. And then I was working with a number of athletes in, in, in different areas, whether we were international level or local level, which was, again, another great experience to see different people doing different things, different challenges. Uh, and then my last job or my latest job was I moved to Thailand and I was working as a football coach and uh, kind of youth development coach. I was managing a program for uh, Buriram United, which is a big football club in, in Thailand. Uh, brings us up to now, I'm back in Scotland. Now that seems like when you started off your career and you're talking about working in the Scottish leagues and stuff, then all of a sudden you just dropped in and moved to, to Singapore. So do you want to just talk to us about where that came across? Because I think it's it's interesting for coaches to hear about um, opportunities that are out there for coaches, but also how that came across. That's obviously not something that you just stumble over and then all of a sudden end up from, from being in Scotland one day, Singapore the next. So do you want to just take us through um, what happened around that and then also the move from Singapore to Thailand as well? Sure. So um, I was... After I left university, jobs were really tricky, actually. Like everyone, I had about three jobs. I was trying to do personal training as a strength and conditioning coach, trying to bring in athletes and do general population stuff. Uh, I had an internship at university in Edinburgh. Um, I was working for Stirling University, so I was doing their strength and conditioning. So I was traveling about, it's about 60 miles um, between Edinburgh and Stirling and back every day. And I was working ridiculous hours like I'd had to be in Stirling for six in the morning or half six in the morning be back in Edinburgh in the afternoon and then I'd, I'd have training for Edinburgh City at night and it was mental I was all over the place and I was just trying to do my best I was like I want to do this I have to do this and we're going to do this um, and then I was at a girlfriend at the time uh, she moved off to Singapore and I was looking at it so well I could run about daft um, with three or four jobs and I'm enjoying it and it's great and all that sort of stuff. Or it's like, I could go and move into the sun for a little bit and see what it's like <laughs> somewhere else. And I was like, they've got to have athletes over there, surely. So looking into that and then there was like, Singapore's an interesting one because outside of the Institute, there's not an awful lot of support for uh, athletes. So like I said, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and MMA, they don't get, a lot of funding they don't get a lot of help from institutes so they don't have clubs that are really set up in that way to develop people through so looking into them and I was still interested in football as well and it's the same it's very um underdeveloped across Southeast Asia and even a country like Singapore is very forward-thinking very wealthy it's it's not the strongest uh, sporting nation um across the football and the other things so basically, I was looking at it, it's like, well, one, it would be nice to move because you got a nice life and all these sorts of things. The other one is, how would you actually develop, like, an athletic program for someone who comes from a culture that doesn't really have it at the moment? Mm. And that was kind of the thing for me, is that that's an interesting challenge. Like, that would be, that'd be pretty, if you could pull it off, the opportunities for you beyond that would be great. It'd be phenomenal. So then I was lucky. Lucky enough, I got a, a job with a, a gym to, to move out and work as a strength and conditioning coach. 
Um, and then that was me. I managed to transition over to, to Southeast Asia and got to see a lot of different things, uh, how they operate and how, how things work within that, that culture. Because Singapore is still a very Western country, um, but it has very, very strong Asian culture because they have, um, Singapore particularly has about four or five different nations within it. Um, they're very, very strong and they all have their own cultures and things like that. So it's very interesting then to go into and see like, well, it is westernized, but it's still completely different. So it's like a true blank canvas you're going into there. But also a takeaway for me on that is that, so is it is it right that you basically made the move before securing a job? Uh, no, so I had the job um, lined up. Okay. So before I went over, um, but it was one of those, again, it's like, and this is the thing that I think about Asia is so good is that, they were like, yeah, you can do this or you could do that. Maybe you could do this. And like, I think that puts people off sometimes maybe. And it's like, well, you have to go and there's nothing there. There's no big clubs. There's no particular athletes or like whatever, like the reason there is not that big. It's not that well developed. But then if you look at it on the, on the, the flip of that, it's like you can go and you can do pretty much what you want. Yeah. Like the opportunities there to go and develop stuff are wonderful because it's like, I really like this idea. I want to run with it. They really like it as well. We see a lot of benefit to bringing it into these athletes. Again, the level of athlete might be low to start with, but as you develop it, these people grow and they get they get benefit of working with a good coach and that gathers pace and that allows other people to start to do. You help other coaches come in and see, oh, I can do that as well. So now you've got a group of coaches that deal with it with good athletes that you've built up, you know. Yeah, 100%. And we go, we're going to go into some challenges that you faced in those roles in a little bit, because I think that's really interesting. Um, but we're going to start with as well, how to or how you found as being the best way of getting your ideas across, because I think this is really fascinating talking to yourself, because obviously we can talk about what you did in Scotland, but then transitioning into Singapore and into, into Thailand, obviously there's the language barrier, there's there's a new, there's cult, different cultures, there's um, you're going into a setup that doesn't have like an, an SNC program in place. So what were some steps you took in terms of, right, these, this is my philosophy. These are my ideas. And now I've got to try and implement them with a, with a group of players that doesn't really have anything in place at the moment. Uh, so Thailand, Thailand's really interesting. The, the, the biggest, the biggest change between sort of Scotland or the UK and Thailand is obviously the, the language is very, very different. Uh, language is very challenging yeah, <laughs> um, but like the the things that you won't realize is that like actually the, just the, the culture is built differently the way they look at um the social structure is completely different so here in the uk well there's a degree of you should respect elders and then you should look up and okay i'll show you respect but in thailand that's everything um everybody respects up to the point where people don't question up. Like it's very much the hierarchy decides and that message gets passed down and, and the responsibility sits at the top and they're supposed to help people through in, in, in their development. So when you go in and, and work in, in, in that environment, it's very much like, well, you're the boss, you're in charge. You've got to do everything. You've got to get that message to go down um, across however many people you've got to work with. But then that goes the same way as how you talk. You can't talk up to someone and embarrass them or show them up or all sorts of things. So 
actually that 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 hierarchical kind of community that they have makes it quite difficult to get stuff done yeah um but if you speak to someone the wrong way you're going to embarrass them in front of other people they then don't want to speak to you again so for you to get stuff done and they don't want to speak to you you're going to have problems and if they don't want to speak to you nothing gets done uh, if thailand want to slow things down they'll slow things down so basically looking at that i was like right want to keep as many people on site as possible want to have them working on their own ideas uh, and we want to make them as happy as possible because again one of the big things about their culture is really it's like you should enjoy your life mm-hmm. you should be pretty comfortable it should be nice you should enjoy it and you should kind of almost work and become second to that so it's like they're very much like let's just do things enough so that we can be happy and enjoy it um so basically need, needing to keep that within the program was, was really important so actually like again another cultural thing within them is they love food like a lot of their lives are built around food so you find daft little things that like asking them when when they're going for lunch what they're going for lunch is if, if, if everyone is going together for lunch these things make a massive impact because it's what's important to the people and unfortunately it took me a little while to realize how important it actually was but like you start building your day around that and they're, they, they relax a little bit because they know what they want is taken care of to a degree. And it's something as daft as going for lunch or, or ordering lunch in. Um, but it makes these people more, more uh, comfortable, more relaxed. So then a little bit more conversation will happen. Um, once we had a little bit more conversation, once these things get people relaxed into, oh, there's, there's, let's talk about different things. Let's, develop different things and ideas and coach education gets a little bit better and people are coming in with different oh I wanted to ask you about this I want to talk about this and that was a kind of thing that that really opened people up was like respecting a little bit of that culture and finding out a little bit about that culture and which took me a while to do because I was looking at it, I was just food man like, why is it so important I don't understand <laughs> this but it actually made a big impact from there, we found that like that was when, is it great? All the little things are taken care of around it, but actually, like on a football side, like we can't talk about like little things all the time. We have to actually deal with what's important to the academy, what's important to our athletes, and and how we're going to actually put it in place. So that that had to be different, and that was something that as long as we had the they kind of like, oh, you guys are comfortable. You've got time to relax. You got your food's organized. You've got whatever it was, that, like the little things that we thought could help them, and be comfortable with them working in the program. The program itself, we thought, had to be quite strict. It had to be quite disciplined in how we delivered it. Um, so what we did was actually we we blocked everything uh, into very specific blocks, and then within the blocks we gave people sort of that was your freedom. You can go within there. Um, because again it's like well if everybody's really relaxed and that fussy it's like he's running one program like this this team's getting that he's doing that over there and you lose that control or across the academy it loses its discipline you don't really have an identity or nobody's really working in the same direction so what we found was a lot was like how do we get one system for these people to to come in and, and make little decisions within that dictate how their teams play or, or how they develop and uh, like yeah, basically like 
you got your bit of creativity, but there's there's guidance at every step, uh, essentially. Yeah, it's. I think that's really interesting and a really important lessons because obviously you're talking there about a complete shift in culture for yourself, aren't you? Going from the the Scottish leagues to to Singapore and then to Thailand. But in terms of the things you've spoke about, about essentially learning about a new culture, learning about the players, learning about what's important to them, um, basically getting as much information from them and what they respect as possible, even if it is very different to how, how we work, regardless of what club you go into, we have to take a similar approach, don't we, to, be, to, to make sure we're being impactful with the stuff that we want to try and put into place. Yeah, definitely. Like the, the biggest thing is that like once I realized that like because I always thought as like, you need to respect the culture. You need, you need as much as possible, you need to respect it because you're a guest in their country. But the ways that you respect it, like you, you like like I say, like organizing lunch and stuff, you don't expect to go into them. But that that's one of the benefits. So I spent a lot of time learning to speak Thai and, and learning how to read and write, specifically from the point it's like I want you to see that that I'm investing my time in it and I'm trying to understand it. And you learn loads, like, to the point where I started changing how I would deliver coaching points, even if, if I was speaking in Thai or if I was speaking in English. Um, my, the way I would use English would be closer to how I would speak Thai. Mm. Um, because basically the, 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 the order of the words has switched. Okay. So even to that point, to make it easier for someone to understand, to so, so, some of the kids will speak really good English, some will speak not so good, and some will speak none. Um, but if they've got a very similar order to how they should be, how they think of hearing things, um, it's much, much easier for them to pick up on. And then within that as well, as you've, you're using specific words that they can pick up on much easier. So in, in Thai language, you basically, you cut the sound short at the end of the word so you don't have very pronounced, like I use the word don't. You got a very pronounced T at the end. Ties don't do that. They'd have a very like flat sound that won't finish. So if you're delivering coaching points, it's much easier for them to pick up on if you're using words that have a flat sound mm. that, that don't have like a very strong definite end. Um, so things like, like if you were saying, oh, I want like a, I want you to lift the pass in or clip the pass in, they know, ah, right, that's... It's that little sound or it's that thing. It makes much more sense and it's easier for them to pick up on. So again, it's the same as, it's the same as lunch. They're much more comfortable in that, that moment because it's easy for them to understand. They don't have this strange white guy shouting these mad words at them. <laughs> and that helps them buy in a little bit more. Like, okay, I can deal with this. It's, um, I can learn from this. This is easy for me to understand, you know? That is really, really interesting and something that a lot of people can take from that. Not that they, or everyone's going to be working with a, a non-English speaking squad, but also the, the more practitioners, we, we have foreign players coming over a lot more and we're um, working with players of all sorts of different nationalities. So I think it's really important to hear your experiences on this. But the other thing with that is that must have really developed your skill of being very... Um, I suppose, efficient with how you're communicating. Because I think as coaches, we can, if we're speaking, if I'm speaking to yourself, I could have a conversation. It might take me quite a few words to get across what I want to get across. 
Mm. Whereas if you're speaking to, to a Thai player or a player of a, of a different language, then you, you need to be very, very precise, don't you? And get to that point straight away. So I think that, that must have been something that um, you progressed with in terms of your coaching. Definitely. Actually, one of the biggest things that I found with my presentation of anything has gone, like it's improved like, phenomenally. Like just to the point where it's like, I can't rely on being interested in talking because like my tie is limited. Like I can only, yeah. I can only do so much. Um, talking in English, people will lose interest so quickly. Through a translator, it takes forever to do it. So it's like, right, we're going to have to find ways to keep people interested. This, it just has to be better in a, a visual point. Um, so it's almost like, like Matt Jones was talking about it while he was in China. It's like you become like one of the three stooges like you're using physical comedy or like the way you move to keep people interested and to get messages across. Um, to the point where like I was, I actually changed everything for the club to how we do, um, I say I changed, the club had changed uh, to use Keynote um, for uh, session plans. So basically rather than having like uh, some fancy software where you can move players about and do all this sort of stuff using PowerPoints to create um, session plans. And then within them, you can animate them, you can add videos, you can have pictures. Um, so we had a structure where everything was blocked for your session. So you'd have your, your warm up, you get 10 to 15 minute warm up, you've got a, an introduction to your session, you then have a learning block, these 20, 30 minute blocks, and then you have a game plan block or game plan phase and you'd move through um, to get our message across to, to the kids. We would actually try and involve them in the process of, not the process, but seeing the session plan, understanding what's going to happen throughout the session before it's going to happen. Um, and I only really thought about this properly near, near the end before I left, um, was like, if you're going into anything, you've never seen it before, that's going to be a bit, like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, this may be a bit dodgy. How am I going to do this? I'm going to look bad. Like, if I mess this up, if I don't know the game, how is this going to be? So, again, showing them session plans and just letting them know, like, this is what you're going to go into. This is what's expected of you. Again, that helped people relax. What we did was we'd have these session plans that were um, PowerPoints. So you can animate them and you can move them. and go, look, if you're in this position, we expect this movement. This is how you score in this game. Or this is how we want you to play then we can easily add in videos. So like, all right, who's your favorite player? Who's your favorite player? Who's your favorite player? All right, well, they're going to play like this. This is how that fits into this game. And then as you run through before your session, you can go, here's a video, here's an animation, here's what the session's going to look like, and here's going to be your keywords. So then as soon as you're going into the session, all of this stuff's like primed and ready for them um, to pick up on. And, and it's, again, it actually makes your life so much easier as a coach because you're just, running through the points uh, in a way that you know is really easy for them to understand. Yeah, definitely. Because football is essentially an international language, isn't it, to a certain degree? But then at the same time, we use a lot of, if we think about coaching within the UK, we use a lot of different phrases to explain the similar situations or things that we want to get out of things. So I suppose that developing that commonality of, of language or phrases is really important isn't it so where did you start on that like what was what was your starting point for that did you just 
learn a few that you wanted to get across. And then obviously, like you've talked about using the presentations to sort of back it up and then just try and grow your uh, vocabulary from, from there. Yeah, basically, but my first like month, I was just like watching loads and asking, what's that word? And what's that? Why do you do this? And why do you do that? To find out more. And then what I started to do was try to create a, a word bank. So basically, like, like this, this word's associated with this. And again, ties very difficult um, language. So like some of the words make sense. Some of them make no sense. Some of them are used by these people and not by these people. So again, within an academy, I go, if I say that, he's got no idea. I'm trying to say that in Thai and he, he's got no idea. And trying to pull that all together, so again, it's difficult again. So we did try and implement, um, we tried to link the words together as much as possible. So like in this situation, you're going to probably use these words. So make them as simple as possible for the Thais to use, for English speaking coaches to use. And also can we use Thai language can we use English language and then when we tied them you're going to expect to do this within this type of game and uh, so things like a press press is easy to to work out okay you're gonna that's going to be more closely related to your small set of games or your your individual practices or whatever but then things like rondos like we're defining what is a rondo and how do you play a rondo and what words are you going to use in your rondo or football tennis if you're talking about body shape and how you uh, control a ball out of the air. Well, what words are you going to use within that game? And we found that it worked to a point, and then it just got it got too big. Um, it was quite difficult to keep the size of it quite manageable, and then that's when it broke down again. Um, but really pairing up the words, and, and to be honest, teaching the kids as well, mm-hmm. that was a big point, because we had some kids coming in going, what's a rondo? Mm. and football tennis and they'd never played it or they'd never fully experienced it so really teaching this is what this word is this is an opportunity for you to use it and you're going to learn and then later on you're like well this is that same word but you're just using it in the game now and it's almost like and i think a lot of people forget about it is that you're teaching these young people how to use all these things so with that word bank linked to the games um, we could feed them into our session plans and we can go in this position, in this game, you're going to use this word, but in the game later on, when we're playing 99, 88 or whatever, um, here's how you're going to use it. Here's the, the actual practical use of it as well. If you're not already a member of our online community, go and check it out. So go to footballfitfed.com and click the community tab at the top. If you sign up there, go through the full sign up procedure it'll give you one month free on the community you get access to there's now 26 webinars available to watch on demand on the community as well as 10 presentations from our networking events we've also got and we're also adding all the time to our discounts with some partners so there's um, discounts on uh, school calisthenics their virtual classroom soccer supplement pulse roll and a number of different other companies on there as well so you can go and check it out go to footballfitfed.com click the community tab sign up there and get yourself a free month on the community after that free month it is only £4.99 per month going forward and you can join coaches from right across the world and interact with coaches that are working in numerous different clubs so go and check it out footballfitfed.com here's part two of the podcast with grant 
Yeah, because on that, you're, you're teaching them to take that forward, even if they don't stay at that club or stay with the same coach as well, aren't you? You're trying to develop them as a player that, yes, they do learn a phrase or what it means or whatever it is, but they're not just using it with yourself or in that specific session. They're able to take it on as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And like that, in Thailand, there's lots of foreigners that go through um, Thailand, like, because they have the three three outside Asia, two within Asia and one um, other Southeast Asian or something like that. Um, but a lot of people who won't speak Thai um, and for them coming in, it's if you've got this young kid who he's only 18, 19, wherever he's breaking into the first team and he sees this Brazilian boy for the first time coming into training and his eyes are like saucers because he's never, never been in Thailand before. And he goes, Oh, this is, this is monkey. This is Ling Ling. This is it's a Rondo basically. Ah, okay, no problem. One, the Thai boy is quite happy because he's relaxed in the environment. He knows all the words and he's just told the Brazilian superstar striker has just come in. You know what I mean? He's creating connections and relationships and things are building. Like those things is, is opportunities for young people to learn are brilliant because again, it helps them in their career. Not It's, just, it's a daft little thing or it seems like a small thing, but it can actually have a bigger impact on how that club operates really. It's like, helps people create relationships helps people talk about things the biggest one and we saw in the girls game was they had so much more confidence after they'd learned all these words and what the words did and how they used them in the game because one of the biggest things is that like if you're going to be nervous about anything it's because you've not done it before or you're you're not good at it Mm. so all of a sudden you give an ability to talk about it you give an ability to do it you're going to be quite confident with it yeah, 100%. And we'll, we'll touch on your work in um, Thailand more specifically now, because I think it'd be good to go into some of the, we've talked about some of the challenges already in terms of in language and communication, but what were some of the other challenges that you, you faced in that role? Um, one of the, the, the biggest things is uh, autonomy. So, so basically like a lot of, a lot of Thai culture, again, because you're looking, you're looking at the top works down or helps down sort of thing. A lot of people find it very difficult to, to take responsibility for themselves. Mm. Um, Cause like, well, someone usually does this for me. And it's, it's very much that like they'll look around, like who's going to do this <laughs> whenever there's tasks get given out. And so one of the things that we, we set it very, or for me personally, I wanted to do very on was like give responsibility. Um, Looking back, I maybe did it a bit too fast. I heard like from conversation coaches, well, that's maybe a bit much, and this player will come back and we'll maybe maybe we pushed it a bit much. Um, but for me, again, that's a, a learning experience. It's like within something that's completely different. I was like, I want you to have responsibility because I want you to learn how important this is to take care of things yourself. Um, but potentially doing that in a smaller, uh, more stepping sort of way. Um, but the biggest thing was for our, our young players was taking responsibility with little things. And it was a nice way to, to kind of get in early and like not let that, not let them just go through their whole life going, oh, this is taken care of, that's taken care of. Because there's nothing yeah. worse if you've got an academy kid going through to the first team uh, and, and he's spoiled, doesn't want to do this, doesn't want to do that. There's expectations and he's, he's not used to them. Um, so 
we really wanted to nip down the body early and it was little things that given little tasks about how you set up sessions can they set up part of the session can they take down part of the session and like the, again these little things they, they seem to not be much but given responsibility to young people to have communicate uh, have conversations with other members of staff like i need you to go and speak to them and, and deal with this it helps build their understanding so that as they go later in life, they're more capable of taking responsibility. Because what we had was we had a lot of coaches who were at university. And to be honest, they weren't great at taking responsibility for things, getting stuff done on time, doing it with good quality, taking care of things. And it's because this culture had taken care of them. It just carried them through. And go, don't worry about this, buddy. I'm older. I've got this. Mm. And it's like, well, that's not going to help them. Because in the long run, like you're always going to have to do it. But again, that is quite a big shift in terms of culture, isn't it? Because then, like you said, they're not used to doing it. So you, you're essentially going in to make that positive change. But for them, it's a very big change, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And and the thing is that you go, wow, you've just doubled my workload, mate. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know anybody who's really going to be happy with that. But trying to find a way and, and, and make them happy about it, understand the balance, understand the importance and balancing or right, being relaxed and actually getting stuff done, it can be very challenging. It can be really difficult. You can kind of clash a little bit with people. But again, if you've taken care of the other things, like, all right, let's go for lunch. Let's take care of what makes you comfortable around all this um, other stuff. It helps. It was buy in and they see the importance of it. Um, but definitely a number, from what I hear, a number of Southeast Asian countries are like that. Yeah, they're very much uh, hierarchical, and and a lot of young people don't have that much responsibility, to be honest. And again, as much as it isn't probably that extreme over here in in the UK or probably in the European leagues, arguably, there is still an element of that that goes on in clubs as well, isn't there? And and the fact that you're saying about autonomy and taking responsibility and stuff like that, I think those those are key lessons that we have to learn as well. And again as much as it isn't probably as extreme there's still there are aspects of that that there are there are common throughout our our club so i think it's really important to hear and, and hear some of the things that you put in place definitely like the seeing um the development of young people as soon as they do take responsibility though i think that that's one of the biggest things especially in in thailand it's 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 easy to see because a lot of people are waiting for other people to do stuff. And as soon as somebody starts to take that initiative for themselves, you see them develop and get so much better and the confidence starts to rise and the, 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 sort of the, the development as a person, not just as an athlete or whatever, uh, is massive. Yeah, And you can see it incredibly clearly and it's really, it's really nice actually to watch. Um, but like saying, like even back here, like there's, there's elements, I think it maybe gets kind of brushed under the carpet a little bit because our, our culture maybe is a bit more forward or you're expected to have a bit more responsibility. But I think sometimes it is taken for granted that you should be teaching these people to take responsibility for themselves. How do you do it? What sort of words are you going to need to use? What tasks are you going to need to do? Um, because again, we still see under 20s that go through um, their careers or whatever and they're a bit entitled. Don't want to do this. Don't want to do yeah. that. Don't like that. Yeah, definitely. And I know a big part of your, your coaching and a big passion of yours is working with the female players over, over in Thailand as well. 
Um, so do you want to just give us a little insight into the work that you did with them as well, but also a bit of an insight into women's football in Thailand? Because I think it's it's an area that probably people aren't aware of that much um, in terms of the standard and the sort of impact that you can have with those players as well. Yeah, definitely. So again, looking at Thai culture, like it sounds maybe harsh, but it is like a little bit of a step back in time. It's just like a, you could even say it's like 10 years behind where we are in the West in terms of some of the ideas and the way they implement certain things. So women's sport is, it's very sort of niche sort of area for certain girls playing certain sports from certain backgrounds. And it's not a very widespread idea that girls play sport. And to the point where I've heard stories of schools tell girls they can't play football uh, still. Um, so for girls to go and, and to do things, so netball is acceptable, volleyball is acceptable, um, but football is not, rugby is not. So there are kind of challenges within their culture. It's like women are expected to do certain things and men are expected to do other things. And it's just the way it is. It's kind of a little bit old fashioned in that sense. Um, so w- within that football is, is a very strange one because it's weirdly developed in the sense that they've got quite a strong national team uh, making the World Cup. But the number of actual athletes playing football and female athletes playing football in Thailand is incredibly low. I think uh, from the FIFA report off the top of my head, I think it was 25,000 registered female football players in a population of 65 million. So they they basically, they, they, they haven't put an infrastructure in place for more than the elite they have sports schools across thailand and they cater for girls in the sports schools so you maybe have 100 girls at uh, chombury you have 100, 100 girls at oof, maybe Sisaket, i can't remember now um and there's there's three or four others uh, the names of amy now um school so you've maybe got four or five hundred girls who are coming through an elite pathway across, again, a population of 65 million people. Within that, the girl's like, well, I'm nine. I didn't get into a sports school. I don't have that opportunity, so I'm not going to play football anymore because mm-hmm. there's no other way. There's no other pathway. Um, there are then dotted about the girls who want to stay in. Um, so they play in boys' teams, but then they hit 12, 13, and that's you. you, you you're done. There's no team for you now. Sorry. And uh, so a lot of the time girls could get pushed away. For, for us, we had a girl called Katty um, who played in our boys team. She was 14 playing in the, the under 13s. And basically we were looking at all these different things like why is the national team so strong in Southeast Asia? They went to the World Cup and got battered. <laughs> but, um, Making the World Cup is a, a big achievement though, isn't it as well? Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's like for considering what the, the national game or the, the the local games like yeah. for the national team we've been making a world cup is actually incredible it's a great achievement um but for us we were looking at it, I was like right well wow catty can't get a team but they've got these players playing it at that level uh, and speaking to the previous manager that i worked with at the club um they were like surely there's got to be some way you can you can bridge that gap and if you do bridge the gap surely then, then it can be really good because we had the facilities we had the infrastructure all these things to, to run a really good program for girls but everybody's telling you there's no girls, there's no girls, there's no girls, there's no girls. Basically, like they were so dotted out uh, and spaced out and 
that they would never play together. So basically what we looked at was like, how do we bring a girls team together without taking away? So if there's a, a girls team in Bangna or if there's a girls team in Samutrakan, if we start our team in the middle, are we going to destroy two teams by then pulling all the girls in? Yeah. So again, that was another another issue that we had to think about is that like having an impact. And yes, there's there's not an awful lot of girls there, but could you make it worse by putting in another team? So basically what we did was we were like, right, let's just go and support everybody who's there. And we did training during the week and we allowed them to go and train with their own clubs. They can go and play for their own clubs. And basically we'd be there Tuesday and I think it was Fridays we started off on. And it's like, here's just access to different coaches that are going to work in the way that we train our pre-academy kids. And we're going to start giving you different things that we'll go through video analysis. We'll go through... Uh, talking about nutrition we'll talk about sleep we'll talk about what, whatever it is that you need help within and we'll see if we can build that um kind of just more support rather than anything uh, and that actually got a really good a really good response and we started to build and, and we actually managed to then put together a team by uh the summer so about six months in we finally we got to that point where we had enough kids to form a squad but yeah it's it's again like how you look at it so we would you could come into thailand and you look at the point of a ball there's no opportunities unless you're in a sports school like there's just none there for you there's nothing there or you can go well there's millions of girls in bangkok alone and there's no teams for them mm. and there's no one else competing there so surely if we work well enough for an extended period of time we could have a team that could compete with the the sports schools and then like what happened we put a squad together and we ended up entering a team into the Thai Women's League. So we became essentially an under-20s team um, who was allowed to play Thai and international players um, in the second division of professional football in Thailand. Mm. It's really exciting, isn't it? Because when, when things aren't set up in place like that and you have to go about doing that graph to create those opportunities essentially where they go to is up to you, isn't it? Like it's, it's up to how much work you put in and how much you put behind it. Like you say, it's just that attitude, attitude shift of being like, this is an opportunity rather than there are no opportunities. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And, and we, we were really lucky. We got to, because we worked in a specific way and we had the structure of our pre-academy behind us, um, it, it, it massively helped. Um, but a lot of it was that we wanted to go and work with these these young female athletes because we we saw two or three of them at the start that she's great, she's wonderful, that she could play with the boys, she could play in the academy, no problem. Um, and then there's obviously there's others who already will work with this and we'll work with that. And you get those sort of comments, like even we had a trial session at the start of the year in January last year. And even their coach, we had 27 girls came. Um, but because they heard about the name of the club that we're running, they came from all over the south of Thailand. So we had girls traveling for two or three hours just to come in and to go to that training session to see what it was. Mm. Uh, and even then we had coaches on the sidelines going, it's never work. Never work. It's not, it's not, it's not going to happen. You're not going to do it. And it's that thing where you, you just need to be excited and you need to drive it and you need to see that opportunity because a lot of people won't. If you can do that, the opportunity now like we had um, two girls went through um, national team selection from that squad. So we had a goalkeeper at 14 
who was playing in Thai Women's League, second division. She got she got two games at the end of the season, and she got selected to the national team off the back of so off of that program. We got to say, well, we were working with international youth athletes in Thailand. One, that was an opportunity that that girl was never getting mm-hmm. unless um, she was in that environment and the exposure that she got. Um, again, working with foreign coaches, the opportunity for her to play in a different style from all the other goalkeepers, set her apart from everyone. And so she got that opportunity. And then we also got that opportunity. So we, myself and the goalkeeping coach, were now having conversations with the national team goalkeeping coach uh, for Thailand. You know, and that all came from how do we help this one girl? Like, how do we help Katty to go and do something a little bit better? Like, brilliant. No, it's, it sounds really exciting. I just hope it, it opens people's minds onto the opportunities that can be out there. And if you can't find opportunities, you got to go about creating them as well. Um, Grant, if you don't mind, we'll move on to the uh, the quick fire questions that's on the end of this, and um, that we we put to everyone that comes onto the podcast. So. The first one being, who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Uh, so when I, when I first started, my first job in professional football was at Cowden Beef uh, in the championship. And it's just a, they're a tiny club. Um, but I really like, I got to work with uh, Con Cameron and, and Lee Mako. Um, and they're obviously massively experienced from Premier League and uh, Scottish internationals and working in Premier League in Scotland. Um them basically they're showing this is how professional football works this is your structure this is how you speak to people this is how you behave this is how training is going to go and um, my first job I was just going to stay dead quiet and just go watch everything um, and just observe and learn as much as possible and not really make any waves or anything like that but that was wonderful just to see what was expected the way they had conversations and the way they gave information as well it was wonderful um, but all like from a like actually like learning point of view, um, you mentioned the Raymond Verhain. I went to see him, he spoke down in London a few years ago um, and I went through his book and some of his stuff that he's been doing with the, um, his online course stuff. Absolutely brilliant. The way he blends, again, it's like the science and the actual coaching elements with how do you speak to people? How do you develop the people within what you're doing? Because Again, you can run drills, you can run games, you can train people, but if they're not buying into it, if they're not understanding it, if the message isn't clear or something like that, those elements don't tie together in the way you want. And then what about um, your biggest strength as a coach? Uh, I think I've always like been open to other stuff. Like I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that, no problem. Yeah, that sounds okay. Um but like I've always had like the, the discipline to do things in a specific way. So um, like when I was working for the SFA, I was like, do you want to do you want to step up and do um, like some sports science work with um, Cowden Beath in the Championship in Scotland? And I was like, that, that kind of makes sense. That one's like, yeah, sure, no problem. But then being offered something, do you want to go and work with squash, or do you want to work with triathlon? Um, or do you want to work with like these mums that like that don't really want to train, but the doctors told them that you need to go and train? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm sure I'll, I'll take something from that. I'll learn that, um, yeah. and then going into it with the mind that's like, well, how would I speak to that person differently? How am I going to get something out of this? 
and just kind of yeah like being adaptable but again going into going well, you're going to need to learn this and we're going to need to do it this way but let's find the best way to go about it within that uh, environment sort of thing yeah yeah you can definitely learn from working with a number of different athletes but not even just athletes but like general pop as well and there's loads of things to take away from any work you can do with anyone really yeah. um next one is is there any sort of cpd that stands out that you've done recently so whether that's like an online course it might be like a, a webinar even just a podcast or a blog or an article a bit of research is there anything that sort of stands out for you i actually haven't been doing much lately C license and i did the asca um level one at the same time so i actually haven't had an awful lot of time to to, to go and look at anything so taking up a lot of it but one thing that I did do was uh, I read um, Jocko Willink's Extreme Ownership yeah. and Chris Foss has a book on how to negotiate never split the difference um, reading the two of them together I'd highly recommend it um, basically Jocko Willink looks at as like how are you going to get your idea across to everyone make sure they're on the same page and be as successful as possible and then following on to it I didn't actually mean it um to work it quite as well but when negotiating what words are you going to use to get people to to be more sympathetic to your ideas how are you going to structure a conversation so that people are going to be open to an idea if, if they're opposed to it um so again like you go right from extreme ownership i want to deal with this problem and going to do it in this way i'm going to help these people but then if somebody's uh, maybe causing friction within it how you can negotiate and um, how you can change people's ideas to make sure everybody gets what they, they want and, and how you can help your program. Like those two books together um, were actually brilliant. They're really, really helpful. Yeah, I've not actually read um, his book, and but I've heard him speak on a lot of podcasts and uh, videos and things. And it, I mean, the guy's had some incredible experiences, hasn't he? And anyone that doesn't know, go and, go and look him up. Um, I'll, I'll maybe try and put a tag in the in the show notes but um yeah i mean there's there's so many takeaways isn't there he's he's a former was he was he a marine am i right in saying he was a marine navy seal navy seal yeah yeah so yeah he's gone through some incredible experiences but now does a lot of work within businesses and um yeah around language communication i think that's a that's a great point um one that hasn't come up on the podcast yet but yeah definitely something that people should go and check out um the final ones, mate, what would you say the most important trait is for a, for a coach to have? I think more so like lately I've learned this is like having very strong relationships with your athletes and sort of create, being able to create an environment where they are comfortable because of the kind of language issues and the cultural issues, like of how you speak to certain people and, and, whatever in, in Thailand uh, I found that you have to trust specific people within the group so within our women's team we had, we had like a captain's team we had three captains um, and they were from three different demographics so three different groups of people and they were able to solve different problems for us for me I, as the outsider and as a foreigner not being able to speak the language it was easier for me to then go to Cathy who can speak Thai her English is better than mine as well and uh, she can go and solve problems for you. She, she'd run through brick walls for you. But for more of the international girls, you could go and speak to Danny, 
she would take care of that side of things. Um, and she's a little bit more forward about it. So she's not going to hang back. She's going to say, you need to do this, you need to do it now. And then if there was a discipline issue, we could go and speak to Amanda because um, she was the older one in the group. So she held the responsibility and these sorts of things. Having those strong relationships and having these people trust us was really important and allowed us to do all these different things. Um, and it bridges all the gaps between what the, the Thai speaking girls need to know exactly this, the same as the English speaking girls or um, I need warm-ups taken care of. So Danny, you're, you're in charge of organizing the warm-ups. Um, and well, there's a little argument between these two. Amanda, can you go and can you go and sort that? But having that trust and being able to to let people come and do jobs for you makes your life easier. But also, again, as you spoke about, you're learn they're learning all these different things. So if they don't have a career in football, maybe they don't. These girls don't go on to have scholarships, play university, or to play pro. Maybe they become coaches off the back of it. And they've seen these little like how to create relationships and they get more information um, about how to talk to people, how, how, to, how to sort things as well. You just gave a great real life example of what Damien Hughes has been on the podcast a couple of times before refers to as cultural architects. So people within your squad that can really be impactful and you can use them to do well different roles like you've just mentioned there. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. And then just finally, Grant, just on, on that, if when you're thinking about some of the players that probably that you've had the greatest impact with, um, and they've been not not just the easiest to work with, but you probably had the, the greatest achievements with, what would you say is like a, a sort of common trait amongst those players? Definitely the ones who the ones who are invested in, in learning, like the ones who like just want I want to know about this, like because yeah. um, we we set up. Um, specifically for the girls team the boys team is different because they were a bit younger um, so the, the boys teams were 8 to 14 whereas the girls teams were 13 up to senior um, for, for, the, for the girls we very much went you have to take responsibility like um, you're a bit older you have to you have to be in charge of your own learning because one day we're not going to be there and the girls who used huddle to watch back their games the girls who were they were actively watching and they watched the Super League games from England and they would send messages going, I saw this. Why did they do that? Or how can I do that? And those ones are then, they were getting the most benefit from it because they were looking into, all right, well, how I, I hear that I need to eat better. How am I going to eat better? So I'm going to come and ask. Um, and then that would then lead into a conversation about sleep. And go, oh, well, I'm not sleeping because I've got to be up at five in the morning for school. And then I've got basketball and then I've got, the cello or whatever it is that do. Um, those ones that then they made themselves far more efficient at taking care of what they needed to do. They actually spent more time preparing so they knew their jobs better. They then became more confident within the squads because it's like, well, I'm better prepared. I'm better at these things. I'm getting more success. And it kind of compounds itself and it, it builds. Um, and they, they, they were the ones that we saw develop the most um, just because they were just involved in it. You know, they were watching football all the time. So they're picking up on little skills that they don't even realize they're picking up on. And then the, the social aspect within the squad is like they're growing within that because they're just they're more confident and more active. Mm. 
It makes your job a hell of a lot easier as well when they bring those questions to you, doesn't it? When they're asking you about nutrition or you about sleep, then yeah. it shows that they're part of the way into buying in already, regardless of um, even before you've given the, the information that they need. So, yeah, that was, that was fascinating, mate. I think there was, there's so much good stuff in there. I think it's really interesting, your journey um, working with the players that you've worked at, but also the commonalities that we've had other coaches talk about working with completely different squads and completely different players, but there's still things that run throughout different leagues and different, different clubs. So for me, that was really, really, really interesting. So a big thank you for coming on. Um, I just wanted to ask if, if people have got any questions, if people want to reach out, maybe even pick your brains on, on different parts of what we spoke about, what's the best place to do that? Uh, sure. I have uh, Instagram. Or I can pass you an email that you can put in the thing um, in the notes. Yeah, anybody can message me on Instagram or LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn quite a lot. Perfect. Amazing, mate. Well, big thank you for coming on. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And um, we'll stay in touch. It'll be really interesting to see the sort of next steps and uh, where you end up and and the impact you're going to make next. Awesome. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me. This is good fun. Great stuff. Thanks, Grant. Cheers, man. Cheers. Big thanks for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. And big thank you to Grant McLeod for coming on the podcast as well and giving up his time. You can go and give him a follow. He's on Instagram, but he's also on LinkedIn. So just search his name on LinkedIn. You'll be able to interact with him. In terms of takeaways, I think a lot of this was based around communication. I think some really key lessons from what Grant was talking about. Obviously, we might not all be working at a club, that um, have that language barrier but I think some of the lessons in terms of the um, creating word banks, phrases, common language, I think that's all really important lessons to take away from this from this episode. Also some of the, the factors that he spoke about, about learning about cultures. I think if you are going into a different culture, a different country, then it's really important to learn about the culture like he spoke about, the importance of them sitting down and having food together um, he talks about everyone respecting up and again it might not be as um, prominent in your role but I think it really is important to um, think about how that relates to your role in your club as well. He spoke about also in terms of communication not relying on talking so when we're coaching so I think sometimes and we have spoke about this on previous episodes about um, talking too much and giving too much information not being precise with what we're saying and um, he spoke about you sort of using actions and words and sounds and stuff rather than just um, relying on, on communication through through talking. And then he also said about involving players in session plans, which I think was really important as well. So they fully understood what they were going into, why they were going into it. And with that as well, you can also get the player to be creative within the session plan. Once they start understanding what you're trying to get out of it, they can bring their own creativity to the session as well, which obviously increases buy-in. So loads in this one for me. I want to hear what you guys thought though as well. So please get in touch. You can drop us a DM on uh, Instagram or Twitter at footballfitfed. You can drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com or just simply share it on social media and um, put some of your takeaways in with that share as well. I really do appreciate it. And just finally, if you haven't already left us an iTunes review, please head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review and a short comment. Just mention 
some of the guests that you've enjoyed the most, maybe some of the biggest takeaways from certain shows. Um, I really would appreciate that as well. But big thank you again for listening. I'll speak to you again next week in episode 127.